as has been the case, we're going to be in the gospel of Mark today, and we're in chapter 5. We're in verses 1 through 20. This is our 16th week in this gospel, and it's taken us 16 weeks here to get to chapter 5, and so many amazing things has happened. Remember, the gospel of Mark, it's a synoptic gospel. It's a synopsis of the life of Jesus. You want to know about Jesus? You want to know what happened in his life? You want to know what he taught? You need to read the gospels, right? And so, in the gospel of Mark is this unique gospel that moves really quickly, moves really fast, that word immediately, I've mentioned several times, it happens 42 times where he says, this happened and then immediately this happens. It just, it moves really quick. It's an action-packed gospel and you will feel that vibe today more so than uh, may, maybe perhaps any other moment in the entire gospel. This is one of the most bizarre moments in the entire gospel. It's actually, this, this moment we're about to study is in three of the four gospels. Uh, which is intriguing to me on, on several levels, but it's just such, an, uh, such a unique moment. It's one of those moments where so many different things are happening. It's, it's mind-blowing. This is the moment in which Jesus casts out a legion of demons from a, from a person, heals that man, sends the demons, gives them permission to go into 2,000 pigs, and then the pigs jump off a cliff and die. And then after that, the people of that city kicked Jesus out of town. So I'll do my best, <laughs> right? I'll do my best. This is just one of those moments that just blows our mind. And, and probably, I think this happens too when you're studying one of these unique moments that's just so peculiar that uh, we come up with a lot of questions. And, and this is one, I got a lot of questions too. When I read, this, read about this moment in, in, in the gospel, I come up with several questions. And I don't know that we can get the answers to a lot of the questions that we may have. Uh, so if we zoom out though, I think what we're meant to learn is incredibly clear. What we're meant to learn is we're learning about the power of demons and Satan in this world. And we're learning about the power of Christ and how he has overcome this world that's seemingly dominated by demons and Satan and evil. And so those are the two big concepts we're going to walk away with. And we're going we're to study this passage, these 20 verses in two chunks. First, we're going to take verses 1 through 13. This is the actual moment in which he heals this demon-possessed individual. And then we're going to study verses 14 through 20. And we're going to see what happens to this man after he's healed. And we get to see the community's response and this man's response, for that matter, to this healing. And so remember, context, context, context. I'm always preaching context, right? What has just happened? What did we study last week? Well, we studied that moment in which Jesus has calmed the storm. They're in a boat. They think they're going to die. Jesus is sleeping. He's on a cushion asleep. They wake him up frantically. Hey, do you even care? Remember they, remember they say that to Jesus, do you even care? He calms the storm. The, storm. the, the disciples are just, in, just utterly shocked in this moment that Jesus calms the storm. They're responding to this. Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? What do we learn in Mark? We're learning that Jesus commands nature itself, commands nature. He tells nature what to do. And then Jesus, there as they continue across the Sea of Galilee, remember they're getting away from the masses, 
there uh, near Capernaum. And he's probably back on that cushion. He's getting some rest. He's had a hectic day. We talked about that last week too. He's back in the stern. And I just imagine everyone being quiet. I, I just imagine the Sea of Galilee being like glass. And they're just working their way across to, to, you know, I think they're working, well, we know why they're working their way across the sea, right? It's, it's again, to get away from those masses of people where anywhere Jews are, and, and Jesus is, just mass quantities of people, just big crowds, dangerous crowds, big enough to crush him, are showing up to listen to Jesus. So they're, they're, they just let, that he was teaching that crowd, and they decided to get away, so they've worked their way across the Sea of Galilee where there aren't many Jews. You get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and this is Gentile country. Gentile, that's just that church word, that biblical term that just means everybody that's not Jew. The, the Gentiles are over there. They're thinking maybe we can get some peace. Maybe we can chill out for a while. Maybe we can just get some teaching just between Jesus and the disciples and not have all these distractions. And that de definitely does not happen. Here's what happens. In chapter 5, let's take verses 1 through 13. If you've never read this story, man, your mind is about to be blown here. Check this out. Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar... He ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Immediately. Jesus calms the storm. They're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and immediately Jesus steps out of the boat, and it's on. Immediately something is happening. This action-packed gospel delivers once again. A demon-possessed man sees Jesus from afar. Remember, there's cliffs surrounding the Sea of Galilee because it sits so low below, uh, below sea level, like 700 feet below sea level. And so he sees Jesus from afar. He starts coming, like immediately sprinting towards him. <laughs> just another day for Jesus. Just another day in the life of Jesus here in this gospel. I mean, he's been asleep. He wakes up. He's not had his coffee yet. He's not brushed his teeth. 
He's just stepping out on the boat. Maybe he's just stretching, you know. Time for another day. And a demon-possessed, insane person is running at him. Like, okay, another case of the Mondays coming up here. Like, another day. Look, look at the power. Of, I, just, I want us to take, take a glance or, or think about this for a moment. Look at the power of Satan and demons and what it does to this man's life. This man is a, is a victim in so many ways. No doubt that he's sinful, just like you and I, and so he's a victim of his own sin as well as the sin of others. But he's also a victim of just a, a, a very intentional um, a, oppression from demonic forces in his life. And so this man, because of the demonic activity taking place in his life, he's completely isolated from society. That's what sin does, by the way. When you sin, when you and I sin, it isolates us. It, it damages relationships. And so this man has experienced so much demonic activity and so much sin in his life that he lived among the tomb. He, he, the tombs. He, he lived among dead people because living people couldn't stand him anymore. This is where they had designated an area to like quarantine him and keep him there. The, this man was demon-possessed, and his behavior was so radical that he was uncontrollable. Evidently, the community was uh, routinely finding ways to bind this man. I just imagine, like, well, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? They would just, like, dogpile him, maybe, and tie him to a tree, shackle him with chains. But it got to the point in which they couldn't even restrain this guy anymore. He was breaking the the shackles, he would wrench them apart and then he destroyed them on top of that. They couldn't dogpile him anymore. They weren't able to, to tie him up because he destroyed the equipment they were using to tie him up and to chain him to things. This guy was as unwanted by his society as you could possibly be. Just that feeling of being unwanted was so defeating to him. It destroyed every relationship in his life. It's just his life is in ruins here out in the tombs. And so he was so rejected, so oppressed. He was so physically and emotionally tormented by these demons. He just wanted to end it all. He hated his existence. He wanted to commit suicide. He was always crying out in agony and cutting himself with stones. He hated himself. He hated what his life had become. He hated his circumstances. He was just full of rage, full of pain. So the destruction of uh, the destruction that these demons had caused in his life had driven him to the point in which he was also self-destructive. So, you know, this is, I think when we just stand back and examine that and think about that, it becomes relatable in a sense, right? I mean, this is the path that those sorts of activities lead to. Maybe you haven't got as, gotten as far down that path. Maybe several of you have gotten pretty far down that path. But this guy isn't maybe perhaps uh, so unrelatable as what we may think. But Satan and demons do what they love to do. They love to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Christ teaches us about the, the, the work of Satan in, the, in our lives. They had ruined this man's life. And then suddenly Jesus shows up. Suddenly Jesus shows up on the shore where this man has been living out his pathetic, terrible existence. Jesus shows up, and this man starts sprinting at him. But is it the man sprinting at Jesus? The man gets up and just starts immediately sprinting towards Jesus. This is not the man saying, oh, look, 
there's Jesus. Oh, look, the Messiah's here. The Savior's here. I'm going to run to him and bow before him and just beg for mercy so that my life can be redeemed. That's not what's happening here. He's in Gentile country. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. These communities that existed here, they're not Jewish. They're predominantly Gentile. And so they may have heard some rumors, but this guy's a social outcast, and he likely hasn't been a part of any sort of rumor mill. And so he's out there. He has no idea who Jesus is. He has no, 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 no framework of the gospel or, or understanding of of the Old Testament and, and the Torah. He, he doesn't have any, any framework for those things. And suddenly what happens is the demons inside of this man, they're the ones that bring this man to his feet, that start moving his legs and running towards Jesus. Why? Why would demons go running at Jesus? Well, what did we read? So they, they could fall down before him and beg for mercy. What have you to do with with me. Jesus, Son of the Most High, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What are we learning about demons? Well, I can tell you this. Demons are not afraid of me. They're not afraid of you. They're not afraid of any of us, but they are terrified of Jesus. They are so terrified that when they come into contact with Jesus, they don't even run away. They run to him. Because there's nowhere to run. They recognize Jesus as the, the son of the most high God. This is the son of God. They're so terrified of him because they have an understanding of him superior to any of us, for that matter, too. That they have such a respect and understanding of Jesus that they don't even run away. This is God. I'll remind you of, I mentioned this is also in Matthew, this is also in Luke. In Mark it says, have you come to destroy us? Well, in Matthew, the line reads like this. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Demons and Satan, they, they have a very orthodox view of God. They understand him. They, they know your Bible better than you do. They, they know God Better than we do, they have a better understanding. They understand that they cannot operate out of the sovereignty of God. They know that. We can't operate out of the sovereignty of God. There's no point in running that way. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. If the Son of God is standing before us, the only logical thing to do is to run before him and fall down and beg for mercy. This is the creator who sustains and ordains all things, for that matter. They understand that their reign of destruction has an expiration date. That's what we learn in the Bible. When we read through the entire Bible and we get to the end, that book of Revelation, it tells us that evil has an expiration date. Sin has an expiration date. The work of Satan and demons has an expiration date. And there's absolutely, absolutely nothing they can do to stop it. They know that Jesus will put an end to it. And so when they see him on the shores of Galilee, they're like, whoa. Have you, come, have you come before the appointed time? It's not time yet, right? We know our time's going to come to an end, but it's not yet, right? They know there's no point in running. And then Jesus asks his name. Now, we've talked about this before. I'm not going to rehash a lot of the things that I've taught about, the names and demons and things like that. But he asks his name for many reasons. And the one I want to focus on today is so that we can understand the odds here. What's your name? 
Legion, for we are many. This man is possessed by thousands of demons. So a legion uh, is, is a term that was used to identify like a battalion of, of Roman soldiers. And if it was a legion of soldiers, it would be like thousands of them. 1,000 soldiers or up to like 5,000 soldiers. We can guess that there's probably 2,000 demons here because they went into 2,000 pigs. I don't know if it's one, a one for one there. I don't know the answer to that question. Again, we have several questions I cannot answer. But I think we're, we're told this moment so that you and I can read this and understand the power and authority of Jesus over the power of Satan and demons. In this corner is a thousand demons, an army of demons that want to cause destruction, that want to carry out their evil intent, that want to destroy lives. And in this corner is one man, the God-man, Jesus, the Christ. So what happens when an army of demons comes face-to-face -face with Jesus, the God-man? Well, they beg down. They, they get down and they, they fall down before him. They beg for mercy because that's how powerful Jesus is. That's how authoritative Jesus is. Now, again, we get into a lot of the details. How do, a, how, do, how do thousands of demons possess one man? I don't know. Good question. Uh, how, how do they, why do they beg for them to be, to, to be able to stay in the country? Why do they not want to leave the country? I don't know. It's a Gentile country. I don't know. Maybe they like it there. Uh, why do they ask to be sent into pigs? Again, don't know. Convenience. They happen to be nearby. I, I'm not sure. But I do know one thing. These are unclean spirits. That's how they're described here. And according to Dru Jewish teaching and according to the Torah, right, the, the, the Gentile country would have been considered unclean. Uh, they they want to stay where it's unclean. And, and so the pigs would have been considered unclean. As a matter of fact, the, just the fact that we're seeing a herd of pigs being farmed tells you there aren't many Jews here, right? Jews don't eat pork. And so this is all unclean, unclean animals in an unclean territory filled with unclean spirits, and they don't want to be destroyed by Jesus because Jesus has complete and total authority. These demons are so subject to the authority of Jesus that did you catch that? Would you send us into those pigs? As in, we can't go in there unless you give us permission to do so. We're asking for your permission. They asked for his permission. Like, that's how, that, that's how powerful he is. They, ha, they know that they have no control. They have no authority. May we go here in, into these pigs? And he gave them permission to go into the pigs. And as I mentioned, I already mentioned again today, that again, this is the Sea of Galilee covering around the cliffs. And so they're, they're at the top of these cliffs now. And they, there's 2,000 there's pigs in this herd of pigs. They, they are filled with these demons. And, the, and they run off the side of the cliff and commit suicide. Man, I was getting nervous. I thought I was going to blow it there for a minute. I had that dad joke planned out. I was starting to trip up over my words. <laughs> I started sweating a little bit there. I was like, I got to nail this. Oh, man. Was it a swine dive? That's all I got. I stole both those. I, that's all I got. 
Whew, man. Okay. How, how, do, how do demons possess pigs? Anyway, how does that happen? I, I have no idea. They don't, they don't have souls. I've known a couple of mean dogs that I've wondered, but I, I don't know how that works, right? Now, think about being one of the disciples. Again, remember, remember, remember the, the disciples? They're here. They're in the boat. They're still in shock because Jesus told nature what to do and nature obeyed. And then they, they see him immediately confronted with this man uh, who has, uh, you know, freakish strength. He's naked, by the way. We'll learn that here in a minute, that he'll be clothed later, implying that he was completely naked and just insane and possessed. And, and they're just watching all of this unravel and, and this conversation happening between Jesus and the demons and, and the demon who was evidently the spokesman for thousands of demons inside of this man. And then 2,000 pigs are there, and they run off a cliff and die, and now there's pigs floating in the water, 2,000 of them, 2,000 dead pigs. I, I work, I, I've mentioned before, I've worked on a pig farm growing up. Like, a few dead pigs is a big problem. Like, moving, like, killing a pig and moving it, getting it where it needs to go. And pigs are big, right? We think of cute little pigs, like, oh, you get in the pen of pigs and you can pet them and stuff like that. But pigs can get, pigs will kill you. Get in between a pig and its babies, and it will kill you for sure. These are dangerous animals. And 2,000 of these gigantic animals are now dead, floating in the Sea of Galilee. Just so many things happening at the same time. It's, it's just, you know, we, we give those knucklehead disciples a hard time, don't we? Because they never seem to get it. But just put yourself in their shoes and think about the, just how laborious it would be to process all of these things that you are witnessing so rapidly Immediately this is happening, and immediately that's happening. Like Every day is in this adventure. I mean, we're not even told all of the things that happened in the life of Jesus. These are just the days we're told about. Remember in John's gospel when he, he has that line that says, if all of the things were written down that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it all. This is just the stuff we're told about. This is just another day. They experienced all sorts of miracles that we don't know. They experienced all sorts of, of, of moments with Jesus and things that he taught that we don't get to know. And, and, and this is just another day for them. Like, wow. But then now, so now what? Now what? Let's pick up at verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him because, or did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim, proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So again, these are herdsmen, these are not wild 
boars. This is a herd of pig that's being farmed. And these herdsmen who are witnessing all of this happening in addition to the disciples, they go tell everybody in the Decapolis, right? Uh, Now the Decapolis, you know from that word deca, that's ten polis, like city. There's ten cities there. And if if you're really comparing the gospel parallels here and you're reading in Matthew and Luke, you'll see that there's a different city mentioned uh, other than Gerasenes in, uh, in, I don't know if I'm saying that name of that city, right? And uh, in, in, in Matthew. And so, wait, well, which city was it in? Well, there's 10 cities. It's a cluster of 10 cities, 10 communities that are there. And so where they dock is in between these two towns. Matthew remembers one, Mark remembers the other. So it makes perfect sense that there would be two different towns mentioned there because they're both in that same general vicinity of the Decapolis. But they don't know Jesus. These people just hear this from the herdsmen. And so these people that, again, have no framework for the gospel, they don't know about Jesus, they don't know about the Torah, they don't, know, they don't have any expectations of, of a Messiah coming. All they know is that these herdsmen are like, hey, this guy just showed up and he came into contact with the person we all know who's insane. And now he's not insane anymore, but all our pigs are dead because he told them to go jump off a cliff and they did. Like, so that's, that's the framework now that these communities have to process who Jesus is. This man is sitting here. They don't know anything about the gospel. All they know is the crazy, freakishly strong, insane person is now clothed. That's strange. We're not used to seeing him with clothes on. We're usually dogpiling him, trying to tie him up to the tree while he's naked. He's clothed, and he's in his right mind. You can have a conversation with him. You can talk to him. He's right down the road. Let's, let's go talk to him. So, I mean, this man, it's the before and after shot that we're meant to see here. That, that's all this community in the Decapolis gets. They get the before and after shot. They see this man before he came into contact with Jesus, and they see the man after he came into contact with Jesus. We love before and after shots. You know, we share those on social media, right? We take the first shot, and we slump over. And we stick our gut out, we throw some Doritos on our gut, and we're sad. The room's dark. And then we take another picture with our chest puffed out, shoulders back, you know, walking around. We're smiling, there's bright lights, our hair's combed, we're clean. We can fake people out with before and after shots. And it doesn't matter. Like, people on social media are funny, though. Like, even when we know what you're doing, we're all like, you look great. You look fantastic, right? <laughs> we don't, we, that's what everybody says, right? But, and then you, but you know, it, you, you can't really confirm if there's been any change there unless you come into contact with that person because pictures don't tell you much. When you come into contact with that person, little, live a little bit more life with them, oh, wow, okay, there is a difference here. Yeah, you, you did drop some weight, or you, you do look so much better. You look so much healthier, right? Well, that's... This community, again, they knew this guy. He's naked. He's insane. He's suicidal. He screams in the graveyard at night. It's like a, something out of a horror movie. And here he is clothed and in his right mind. The, the before and after is incredible. And these people are now having to process this. How, how can this be? But then they're seeing these 2,000 dead pigs, and they don't know how to process that either. They're They're afraid. They're afraid. And then they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They see this miracle take place. It's likely their livelihood, these pigs, right? They're farming these pigs to make a living, and now they're all dead. 
I mean, at least you could salvage some dead pigs, I suppose, but it's time to butcher them all at the same time. But, I mean, they care more about these pigs than they do this person. And so this healed man who has, still has the, the remnants of this wrecked life, this healed man is begging to go with Jesus. I think it's one of the, it's this really sweet moment where you can really relate to this guy. His life is suddenly like back in control. He, he's, he's in his right mind. He's thinking, but he's looking around like, I, I, how am I supposed to pick up the pieces here? Like my life is wrecked. I've burnt every bridge. Everybody thinks I'm nuts. What am I supposed to, can I just go with you? Can I become one of your disciples? Can I go with you, Jesus? And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no. He wants him to stay there. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, I think Jesus was planning ahead here. There was going to be a moment years later in which after Jesus had died and resurrected and ascended into heaven and commissioned his disciples to go out and share the gospel into the world, by the time that that gospel message starts traveling in every direction, as we know it does, we're here right now, still telling the same story about this man in the tomb on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the planet, we're talking about this now, 2,000 years later. But he knew that was spread would start there, and by the time that gospel message gets to the Decapolis, this man's been sharing his story for years. I don't, we don't get the details of this man once the gospel reaches this area later. But I would love, I would love to know, like when we get to eternity someday, I'd like to see how that played out. Like when this man, you'd like to think that he gets his life together, back, back together to some degree. And then the gospel makes, the way, makes its way back. Everybody knows this guy and you know, they know the before and after shot of this guy. And then he gets to hear the gospel for the first time to make sense, to really connect the dots. Oh, man. And you know, a lot of times, this is what happens in the life of us. People are just changed by Jesus. They're changed by a work of the Holy Spirit. Their life is different, but they don't gain a full understanding of why or how that is until later down the road. Oh, oh man, my life was awful and certain people came into my life and ministered to me and and. and slowly over time the gospel is taught to them and they learn it and you know we like to think all the time that like it's people hear the gospel they believe and 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 they just live this amazing life from from that point on and and we don't do altar calls and things like that here not because I'm dead set against altar calls but I just think it's slower than that I think it's I just think it happens a little more slowly than that I, I think you need to give people time to hear the gospel over and over to learn more about to, to Jesus, to investigate the gospel more, to ask more questions. I think people come here and they're not believers for a long time before they actually become believers. I like that about our church. I think that's cool. I, I, I like to welcome non-believers here. Just, just learn what the Bible's teaching for a season of your life before you just jump on board and say you're a Christian. Well, this guy was impacted in a profound way, changed in a moment, but it no doubt, you know, the, the extent of the gospel, the, of the coming kingdom that Jesus would have told him about, he didn't really appreciate that until years later when he began to hear this fuller gospel that reached his ears, perhaps by one of the disciples. Hey, I saw you that day. I remember years ago. I saw you there. Let me tell you what happened after that. So what do we take away with, from this? How do we, 
How do we take a moment like this that's so bizarre that we have so many questions about, how do we take a moment like this and actually, you know, know it in a way that ministers to us throughout our week? I, I mean, that's kind of my job, right? We want to not only study scripture, know it well, have the knowledge, but practically, how does this change how we think? How does this renew our minds? What difference does this make today, right now? Well, I think it makes a big difference. I think this reminds us of the hope that we're supposed to live with. Because sometimes it feels like evil is winning, right? Not sometimes, all the time it feels like evil is winning, right? I mean, we get so dragged down by the power of evil in this world that we start to lose hope that Jesus has any authority over that power. It feels like we're losing ground. The more we pay attention to what's happening in this world, the more we lose hope that goodness will prevail, that, that Jesus can actually do something about this. Right? We lose hope in many ways. You know, when you read the news, that's practically is that you talk about inflicting pain on yourself. Just read the news every day. That's inflicting pain on yourself. I just did it this morning. Ugh, I, I hate the fact that I read the news every day, but I can't get myself to stop for an extended period of time. But it's just so disheartening, right? It just feels like evil is winning. It feels, reading the news feels like you're shackled to a tree. It feels like torture. There's so much misery in the world. Right now, people are running for their lives in Ukraine because they're still being bombed. They're living in a war zone today. It's, it's so discouraging. What end is there in sight to the wars that we have in this world? There's so many different movements out there, even in our own society, that are just so against the message of God, just so anti-God. They're anti-God's design. They're anti uh, everything that has to do with what the Bible teaches. They're against it, actively against it. And so when you're a Christian and you believe in the Bible and you find your hope here and you want to live out these values and this teaching and this gospel in your life and you're confronted every single day with all of these movements that are preaching a message against what you believe, it's defeating. It's like, you know, it's like Chinese water torture. It's every day. It's you're faced with the reality that people are against us. They're against what we believe. And so many of you here, you're dealing with so many bad things in your life right now. You don't, you're like, shoot, yeah, the, the, the news is terrible and there's so many movements that are annoying and things like that out there that are disheartening. But, man, i got so much sin in my life and personally just dealing with the sin of people in my life. I'm just defeated by that evil so much alone that I'm losing hope because of that. Right? I mean, you're not, you're not naked and tied to a tree like this demon-possessed man. But when you read about this demon-possessed man naked and tied to a tree, you find some things that feel familiar to you. The torture, the emotional agony that you live through every day, that you wake up with at night. The, the demonic oppression that you may be feeling in your life. Maybe you're not possessed by a legion of demons, but each and every one of us has to deal with living in a world with demonic activity and evil. And you have to deal with the consequences of that. And some of you are feeling the consequences of that big time in your life right now. And from people around you. That work 
that's evil is real and impacts your life. And so you read about this man and cutting himself with stones and just wanting it all to be over. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I, I get it, dude. Mark is telling us this story so that we can understand all of that evil, as extreme as it can be, it has no authority over Jesus. It has no power over Jesus. It will not conquer his kingdom. He has already overcome the world. He's already defeated it. And so this before and after picture that we see of this demon-possessed man, you and I, as believers, will have a before and after picture. It may not be as impressive as this one, but there are a lot of impressive stories in here. I, I know this congregation very well, as I mentioned last week. I know a lot of the stories, and I could go row by row and tell you what people have been through in this room. I could tell you what they're going through in this room because I have that relationship as a pastor to the people who show up to this church. And there are amazing stories in this room where people have been changed. Like if you could see them before the gospel and Jesus impacted their life and see them now and see those pictures side by side, you'd be like, wow, this is incredible. This is incredible. But you know, other pictures aren't as impressive. And you may be thinking of your picture right now. What would my before and after picture look like right now? And maybe you're thinking, oh, it wouldn't look that impressive. And, and the truth of the matter is, we're all still a work in progress here, right? But here, here, here's, here's, the, here's the God's honest truth with this con congregation. We got people in here dealing with addictions, and some of them have been overcome, and some of them haven't. We got, we got marriages in here that are struggling or have struggled. Some of those marriages have been saved. Some of those marriages have not been saved. We have people in here that have dealt with all sorts of sicknesses, that they've by God's grace, we're healed through that. Others not. We have people just in the middle of just an emotional battle right now. Some people have made it through that storm, and some people are just they're getting hit by lightning right now. But the story is, is it's for us in this moment so that we can understand the gospel has power over that stuff in a way that goes beyond the here and now. Okay, so when we hear the gospel and we believe and God starts to do a work in our life, we get to live with this hope, right? We, we live in the midst of chaos and in the midst of sin with the hope that sin has an expiration date. It will expire. Death has an expiration date. Misery has an expiration date. The work of, sin, uh, the work of Satan and demons has an expiration date. All that will be left, what we're told in the gospel will be good. At the end of time, God will make all things new. And so in that day, we will be perfected, right? As we struggle along by the power of the Holy Spirit, one day this work will be complete and we'll be on the other side and we'll be with God for eternity. And when you see the before and after, you right now, no matter how, how good you think you are, if you could compare a picture of yourself right now to what you will be in heaven for eternity with God without sin, you wouldn't even recognize the people in both of those pictures as being the same person. The only similarities that would exist between right now and then is the goodness and the righteousness of Christ in our lives. It's the only similarities. 
And so we get to go into communion today to remember that hope. God has the power to make us new. And so we, we are made, as we live with that belief, we're made new right now. We are new creations in God. We live in this new life with this new belief, and it makes us new right now in him. But there's a sense in which it's not yet. We are being perfected. We're a work in progress, but we will be made new. This happens because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are taking communion today to remember that which makes this certain. The works of Christ are all sufficient. We take that bread to remember his, his life was sinless when we stand before God and we get to the other side because he was righteous, not because we were righteous. I'm not righteous enough to get to the other side. I'm not righteous enough. I can't tip the scales to convince God to let me exist with him for eternity because I was good enough. I have no hope in that whatsoever. I have hope in the righteousness of Christ. When I have faith in him, that righteousness is imputed to me right now. So that's the sense in which I'm a new creation right now. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And I take that juice to remember the, the blood shed on the cross atoned for my sin. I can't make up. I can't make up all of the bad that I've done. I can't undo it and I can't atone for it. I can't stand before God someday and say, hey, look at all the good stuff I did. It, it, it made up for the bad stuff that I did. That's not how the gospel works. The blood shed on the cross, I'm putting hope in the atonement of Christ. I stand before God saying I have nothing to offer except the blood of your son that atoned for my sins. And so because of this, right, this gives hope to anybody. No matter how awful, no matter how ruined your life may feel or be, we all can be saved by the grace of God through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this moment in scripture that's so bizarre. Lord, we thank you for your power over evil. It's so, so easy to get lost in just the evil of this world. It's so easy to get discouraged by it on so many levels. But Lord, we come back to your word as a group of believers each and every week to be reminded of the power that you have, the authority that you have. Lord, all of this happens under your providence, and you are sovereign over all of it. We know that that causes questions. Lord, I pray that this would be a congregation that would be able to ask those questions freely so that we can work through them together. Your word has so many answers for those questions. And Lord, we thank you that we can live with the hope that we know, we know you have overcome evil and will overcome evil that you are doing a work in our lives and you will complete that work to the end. Lord, help us to remember that truth today. I pray for those in here who are struggling. I pray for those in here that are just barely hanging on, that, Lord, they would just rest in that gospel truth and they would be encouraged and filled with strength from you, the Spirit, and that there would be healing in their life. Lord, use this time for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.